0: PaceLine is a production of the Cycling Independent with the support of listeners like you and the master bike builders at 7 Cycles. We are community supported, community focused, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. At the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us.
1: From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week... No, we're fine. Sorry. (laughs) I was just making...
0: I was just doing... I don't know what I was doing there. I'm sorry. Should we start
1: over? (laughs) No, no. I, I think the listeners deserve to know what doofuses we are.
0: Oh yeah, I was just doing, I was conducting like an orchestra with my hand there and you just <laughs> froze up. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just excited for today. I, I don't know. I think
1: it was, a, I was thinking it was a hand signal that you'd lost audio and you know, I, my my lips were moving, but no sound was getting to you. No, it was a hand gesture that means I've lost my mind. Uh, um. Uh, yeah, that's what it yeah. means. Well, hey everybody. Hi, welcome to the show. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Um, how's it? How's it going? Um. It, it's a. It's a slightly crowded time in my life. Uh. The boys go back to school tomorrow. Um. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's the typical juggling of of job, and then like, uh, oh, I need my shoehorn so I can get some rides in. Yep. Yeah that's
0: wh- that's where i'm living as well we're we're having some um it has been a very very rainy time in new england a very rainy summer Oof. uh very humid very rainy so i've missed a lot of rides to rain but i'm 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 just i also have a very busy life uh so i'm not trying i'm trying uh, you know mm-hmm. i'm trying not to stress out about it it just is what it is um i'll ride when i can ride yeah
1: yeah I had some good ones this weekend, so I'm, you know, my, my, my cup may not be, uh, running over, but it's, it's full enough to take a long drag. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's jump in. Why don't we, since we've already messed this up enough. Yeah. Well, let's
0: well, see what else I can do. Yeah. <laughs> So, as you might know, you certainly know, but listeners might know, I write marketing copy for a number of companies and players in the bike industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, the folks I work with are all U.S. based, uh, not because I planned it that way, but over time, those are the stories I seem to be best at telling and products I understand most clearly, and also probably just the people I know, (laughs) um... When we're talking about how to pitch their products, they typically want to focus on durability and sustainability.
1: hmm hmm
0: They want to emphasize the importance of investing in quality up front and then keeping those quality products a long time. And they want to talk about the measures they've taken to produce things in the cleanest, best possible way. Uh, the word sustainability is often thrown out I'm not sure it means anything, sustainability, mm-hmm. um, but what we're really talking about is clean manufacturing practices, clean operating procedures, transparency, things like that. Mm-hmm. But yep. here's the thing. Here's the thing. Just about no one buys a set of wheels or a frame because it has the smallest carbon footprint.
1: I, I, mm, yeah, I can't argue with that one.
0: Um. And, and and some of that may have to do with the fact that people have no clue what the carbon footprint of the f- of the thing they're buying is anyway. But yeah, durability, pretty much everyone acknowledges, is the least sexy feature of any product ever.
1: Yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> mm hmm.
0: So so the the folks I work with typically have this disconnect between their values and the customers' values. And let's be clear. If you ask consumers if they want durable, sustainably produced products, they'll say yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh and yet when it comes time to key in the credit card number, those values tend to go by the wayside or at least they count for much less than a perceived discount or a really cool color. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm not better than that. Mm-hmm. Right? Like yep. Yep. Most of us, we have different values um, from person to person, but broadly speaking, we really like cool colors a lot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when I worked in retail, uh, every now and then there would be the customer who would get down to two different bikes and, you know, one would have slightly better components. The other would have the cool color they wanted. And they'd ask me, you know, am, am I being a doofus for wanting the bike that's the cool color? And I'd say, you know, I, I don't know, but I've never bought a bike I thought was ugly. Yeah. 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 Uh, we should love the things that we buy. And the visual appeal is certainly one of those. I think that's true. I think that's true. And this is,
0: I, I want to, I'll probably come back to this over and over again as we talk about this today, but the, the world is not you value durability or you don't. You like the cool color or you don't. It's some measure of each one. Yeah. Yeah. With, on balance, people valuing aesthetics over practicality a lot of the time. Yeah. And sometimes they'll find a product that offers both. So, you know, that's great as well. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of moving pieces in this conversation. Now, what I don't want this poll to become is me scolding listeners about spending their money more thoughtfully or more practically um okay that's good i endorse that so i just said that and then the word but comes (laughs) and as my friend tim used to say but is a contrast word uh (laughs) that's understated i like it la hyena just burned down Mm -hmm.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. on the east coast we've gotten a dose this summer of wildfire smoke Mm -hmm. a curse you west coasters have been familiar with for a while i mean only smoke if you're lucky Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, enough said. It's currently the hottest summer on record. Mm -hmm. Everywhere you look, the evidence of global warming is piling up, and the
1: chickens Mm -hmm. seem to be coming home to roost much sooner than we expected. You know, it's worth observing that summer, technically speaking, is not over, and yet we are... We have already judged this to be the hottest summer on record, and we've been able to do that because up to this point, this has been such a hot summer that no reasonable playout of meteorological effects for the rest of the summer can undo that. We've already crossed the finish line.
0: Right. Right. So so uh, as I said, I'm not here to scold anyone, but I feel like this is a really opportune time um, to t- talk about these things. And clearly I have a stake in people changing their buying habits in this way. So maybe I'm not the avatar of pure intentions here. But what I'm trying to do is wonder aloud when things like durability, sustainability, low carbon footprint, etc., cetera, become really dispositive values. In the buying process, mm. Mm. I mean, I- I'll give you examples from my personal life, and I you can say I'm a goody-goody or a or a tree hugger or whatever, but like, um, we have recycling. We have a, ver- a recycling program in our town, as m- most towns in this country do now. Mm-hmm. Um, but black plastic is not recyclable. Mm-hmm. There there is a reason for that that has to do with the way plastic is sorted at the recyclery. But the bottom line is you really can't they, they will throw all the black plastic you put in the bin into the landfill. Okay. And so and and black plastic is particularly uh popular with food producers. You'll you'll find a lot of like meat comes in a black plastic container with a yep. clear sheet on top. Um a lot of sort of smaller foods will come in black plastic. I don't buy those things anymore because I know they don't they're just going to be garbage. Mm-hmm. And and it's possible that I'm fooling myself about how much of the rest of the plastic I buy gets recycled. <laughs> I also will spend a little more and I'm I'm able to do that, so I'll own that as well. But I I will spend a little more to get something in a glass container instead of a plastic one because I know glass is more readily Uh, And easily recycled. So I I am preaching a little bit today, but I am also trying to live it a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's messy like the rest of everyone else. I have things like I have a carbon fiber bike that I really love. That carbon fiber bike is probably going to go in a landfill one day. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ride it. Almost literally till the wheels come off. But, um, you know, that's a fact that bike is probably it's not recyclable. Yep. Yep. Um, So when when do we start considering the ultimate destination of the stuff we buy? Um, You know, can your bike be recycled or does it go to a landfill? I haven't thought too hard about these things until recently, um, but I am now. And I was talking with a friend of mine uh, just the other day who's a scientist uh, who works on hazardous site cleanups. Mm -hmm. Hazardous. You know what I'm meaning. Yeah.
1: Hazmat stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: Hazmat stuff. And she was saying that a lot of her work these days is in mitigating forever chemicals. So these are sure. perfluorocarbons, uh, PFCs, and latterly, or or more recently, what they call PFAS, mm-hmm. uh, PFAS. Uh, PFAS. Yes. Um, it, one is a, the PFCs are long chain and the PFA is short chain Mm -hmm. so um like the long chain is worse the short chain is a little better but still quite bad Mm -hmm. and these are chemicals that just don't break down they have to be filtered and sequestered to keep from entering the water system or it's like every time you read an article like oh most people have plastic in their guts Right. Well, these it, are the chemicals they're talking about.
1: Yeah. Like uh, what was uh, PG&E's, uh, I forget the name of the chemical because it's like 48 syllables long, but Hinkley, California, Aaron Brockovich, that was a forever chemical. Boom. Yeah. So good example.
0: And, and these chemicals, I tend to read these things and I gloss over them with a like, well, what can I do about that? But these chemicals are in every piece of waterproof gear we own. Uh, like, a DWR coating is made of this stuff. <laughs> um, the, the one exception that she gave me was that uh, Patagonia, predictably, is using a new chemical that's th- currently thought to be better uh, than these uh, PFAS uh, chemicals. But generally speaking, um, I find this fascinating because I think of myself as a cyclist and outdoors person as a de facto environmentalist. Mm-hmm. But, but my buying habits might not back that self-perception up and that just brings me back to the ideas of durability and sustainability and wondering if now isn't the time actually probably 50 years ago was the time but uh but is now the time to reassess what i'm buying how i'm going about my favorite activities like riding bikes to bring it in line with my values and maybe the reality that sometimes quite unexpectedly a whole town in Hawaii just burns to the ground.
1: Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's an easy way to frame <laughs> that. Um, how, how about a feel good show folks? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's funny just as you were speaking, I, I, I flashed for, for reasons that I, I, I'll just plead, you know, ADD creative brain. yada. I flashed on Cuba and how mm. the great majority of the cars there uh, last I understood were built prior to my birth. Yeah. Cuba may be one of the greenest uh, societies on the planet as a result of just that one thing. Um, you know? So yeah. Uh, hi, welcome to a creative brain. I, you know, I really struggle more and more with, yeah, how long the things that I buy will last, um, and, and very much, uh, uh, with bicycles. Um, I am troubled by the fact that right now nothing is being done to try and recycle carbon fiber, um, there are people working on that particular problem, trying to figure out, well, what can we do with this? Um, and so far it's not a lot. There are some small applications, but we're producing carbon fiber for bicycles and planes, uh, far quicker than that could ever do anything, uh, for mm. us. Uh, you know, I, I, w- one idea I want to offer as just a little bit of pushback that I do hear from people from time to time that is encouraging um, is that notion of uh, riders who've had their 50th or maybe 60th birthday and they buy something custom steel or titanium and they they say, this is the last bike I'm going to need to buy. <laughs>
0: Sure, I've spoken with um, a fair number of those people, (laughs) as you you can imagine, in my line of work, uh, or my lines of work. Yeah. um, Yeah, they're definitely out there, and, you know, it's not fair to just tell people, oh, we'll just go buy these things. I mean, uh, things that are durable, like this, can be quite expensive, and— It's hard in the moment. It's it's there's a little bit of uh, I'm reminded of Was it at Princeton. They did the marshmallow test. Uh, do you know, I the marshmallow nope, test. Nope. So the marshmallow test goes like this. Um, I give you a marshmallow and I say, look, I'm going to step out of the room for just a minute. Uh, P.S. They do this with kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They give them a marshmallow and they say, look, I'm going to step out of the room for a minute. You can eat the marshmallow if you want. But if you still have that marshmallow, when I come back, I'll give you another marshmallow. Oh, and so there's uh Mm -hmm. there's some sort of predictive nature of this about a person's ability to think, think and plan long term. Mm -hmm. Some kids will just pop (laughs) as soon as the door shuts. The marshmallow is gone. Mm -hmm. And then some kids are sitting there, you know, with their fists clenched firmly behind their backs when uh, the, the person comes back in and gets a second marshmallow. And I think most of us would love to think we're two marshmallow people, but we're not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, I, I'd like to think that I am these days. I doubt very much that I was in years past. And I can guarantee you I have uh, two boys in the next room who absolutely are not. <laughs> Right.
0: That first marshmallow tastes so good.
1: I I get it.
0: I get it. I think, and I think this is, you know, this is uh, But when we have these conversations, when I have them with my clients about wanting to push durability forward, I say, look, we can do that, but we're not a species who thinks Mm -hmm. Mm long-term. We recognize the value of it, but we, we just don't do that most people don't buy the bike they think they're going to want in 5 or 10 years they
1: they buy the bike they they want now uh, fair point fair point um you know how often do you see a road bike uh with the steer cut so that there are no spaces above the stem yeah nowhere to go yeah yeah it's like okay I guess you have some miracle elixir that will allow you not to age and get stiffer. All those people Good are yoga you.
0: instructors. I'm sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I actually have some, um, reservations about how much steer I left above my stem, <laughs> whether sure. or not it was enough. Yeah. Uh, anywho, I, you know i i i don't know i don't have anything to offer here other than hope which is that i hope that this is this stuff is going to start to matter more and more um i've i've got a pair of wheels um uh where <sighs> there are problems with both rims but they're laced to king hubs and so i've been thinking in my head about what it is I want to do, uh, to, uh, build these hubs into a new set of wheels. Um, cause there's going to need to be a change of free hub in the back. And, you know, I gotta, mm-hmm. I gotta choose the new rims and what do I want to do? And yada, van yada. I'll probably, I'll have to do something about the axles as well. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll just continue our call after we finish recording, but you know, more and more because of my mountain biking, I'm looking at, uh, bearing quality, seal quality, um, uh, things around the hubs as opposed to just the rims. Um, because as I've been riding different wheels over the last couple of years, there are a couple of quick downhill single track sections that will be followed by a very sharp uphill. And depending on how quickly I go into that downhill, that will determine how far I coast up the other side as modified by the quality of the bearings. And I absolutely notice, um, you know, a measurable we're talking like six to 10 feet difference uh, between different hubs and the quality of bearings they're in. Mm. So, uh, you know, one of the, one of the arguments that we can make for looking at longevity is, yeah, you're getting better quality bearings that will roll better.
0: Yeah. Roll better, last longer. They're out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm they're out there i just you know maybe i'm um playing to the audience where we're we in a way where and i'm the audience as well in as much Mm -hmm. as i'm watching these things happen and i'm trying to think like gosh i feel powerless about this what can i do Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and i'll get to this a little bit or we can talk about in advance of doing the picks which comes later in the podcast but i'm i'm more um circumspect i think now about recommending products that i've only used a little bit Mm -hmm. versus things that i i know are i want to only be talking about stuff that you should invest in rather than stuff Mm -hmm. you should just buy
1: yeah yeah well you and i have all we've both been averse to uh blatant consumerism um you know buying stuff does not make us happier buying a better bike can lead to a better ride, which can lead to more happiness. But just buying stuff does not make us happy. Um, There's probably somebody in Beverly Hills ready to shoot me right now for saying that. (sighs) Um, You know, one other thought that I have is we love to talk about algorithms, the algorithm this, the algorithm chose that. And a lot of people don't really understand just what an algorithm is. And, uh, oddly, I learned a lot about algorithms years and years ago in, uh, synthesizers, uh, how you bring different oscillators together, uh, to synthesize sounds and end up with things that sound really cool on rock records. Uh, my nerdy is showing, isn't it? Um, it's never not. So I don't know why you fret about these things. Go on. <laughs> the The thing is, an algorithm is, you know, you bring certain factors together and then you weigh to what degree each of them is a priority and you shuffle them and maybe maybe they go in order. Maybe one is only modifying the other. Maybe one is modifying the uh, two others uh, in relation to each other. That's an algorithm. And that's very much what we're doing when we're trying to decide what our priorities are in a purchase, mm. you know? And, uh, I, hopefully we're all thinking more and more about, uh, I'll just go with durability, sustainability. Yeah. That's a, that's a fuzzy one. Um, You know, uh, people can tell you most anything about that. They can say it's sustainable, that it was made in a way that they can keep making those for years and years to come. But we have no way of knowing if that was even remotely true. Uh, And whereas with durability, you're going to know in three to five years whether or not they were telling the truth.
0: Yeah, I think there are things out there that we know are will last longer. Mm -hmm. and. And if you don't know, ask your local bike shop what stuff lasts and what stuff doesn't.
1: Yeah, Uh, it's one of the reasons that for a very long time, uh, when I've reviewed a product, I've never been the first to print, you know, with my review. I always wait until I've got some serious miles on the product so that I know whether or not it's holding up. Um, I've worn out enough things that I i generally know what to start looking for uh in terms of early signs of wear that will uh result in something not living very long Mm. um and yeah i'm with you uh i i will make the investment for things that are going to last um yeah good
0: yeah all right well let's take a break then okay cool
2: Do you love high-quality bike lights, and bike pumps, and tire inflators, and baskets, and bags, and cargo racks, and fenders, and various other essentials any normal person needs to get through life by bike? Of course you do. Probably preaching to the choir here, you're likely up to speed on Portland Design Works. This podcast is actually sponsored by them. Makers of high-quality fenders, cages, lights, and all the other stuff I just mentioned, plus some. Use code REVOLTING15 for 15% off your first PDW order. My two favorite items that they make are the cargo web, which keeps all my stuff intact, safe and sound in my basket, and the 3 Wrencho, which is an offset 15mm coated wrench with a tire lever on the end. The attentive among us might remember the infamous Dan Cheever eating peanut butter with his in an old video spot they did several years ago. Portland Design Works, they're the best. Remember, use code REVOLTING15 for 15% off your first PDW order. I'm not the boss of you, you are, but you know what's right. Portland Design Works. Beautiful, simple gear for everyday cycling.
0: This month, we're sponsored by our good friends at Seven Cycles, who've been in the vanguard of American custom frame building for more than a quarter century. When you work with Seven on a bike, you get real input into the design. They offer more tube set options than any other builder. They offer more ways to customize your bike. The process is deep, but it's also fun, and the result is a bike you'll love riding for a lifetime. We've secured a few places in their busy build queue for PaceLine listeners, which means you can get a fully custom dream bike from Seven in just three weeks from submitting your measurements. This is the fastest route to the very best bike you're ever going to own. Also, just for us, they're doing what they call the centennial build. That means that your designer, bike builder, welder, and finisher will have more than 100 years combined bike building experience. That's a lot. To find out more, just head to 7cycles.com forward slash TCI. Okay, we're back with The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. What's your feel-good hit for the
1: day? <laughs> this past weekend, I got into a conversation with a friend who was lamenting how much his homeowner's insurance has increased. Um, hmm. He's probably not alone in that regard. Oops. Uh, nope. I observed that in trying to gently steer the conversation in a slightly more Positive direction. I observed that changes in the insurance industry brought about by the one two punch of climate change and technology will transform society. This was maybe a conversation fail on my part, um, but it does give me the opening I need. Uh (laughs) Backing up further with another story a couple of weeks ago. My girlfriend, Jennifer, was down here, and she and I met up with her brother, and we went to the DeYoung Museum in San Francisco for a show of Ansel Adams photography. Mm. It it was a stunning show, by the way. Um, I believe you. Yeah, really something. It it was as I was trying to park before going to the show that I had my first interaction with a self-driving car. It was one of the cruise taxis uh that now run 24 7 in san francisco yeah that's brand new right yeah so these are autonomous cars with an array of cameras on the top that reminded me a bit of the face of a spider uh i not was not
0: creepy at all then go no, on <laughs>
1: no 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 nothing weird there uh but that that realization was actually to come a, a, a few moments later um I was trying to parallel park. This is in Golden Gate Park. And the cruise taxi came up behind me and stopped just like you would at a stoplight. Perfectly reasonable behavior for a driver. But I'm I'm in a minivan and I've got decent vision, but not great. And my backup camera shows mostly, you know, the grill of the car behind me. Um, Yeah. And so I'm waving and gesticulating and nothing is happening with good reason. I had no idea still that it was autonomous. Uh, And so finally, I'm like, well, I'm going to show this driver what I'm trying to do. And so I backed up a little, you know, six or eight inches. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) The cruise taxi backed up exactly the same amount. I did it again. It backed up the same amount again. It, it worked in absolute proportion to what I was up to. And so it took like four backups on my part to generate <laughs> enough room for me able to, for me to back into the parking space. <laughs> it was, um, a little Kafka esque, maybe. Um, but then once I was into the space, uh, It didn't zoom into the other lane and burn out down the street because I had interrupted its day. Um, Right. It didn't even pass me until I was fully out of the way. And then it just eased on by and I saw, oh, there's nobody in that driver's seat. Wow, that's trippy. That's going to confuse the hell out of Boston drivers. If there's no horn blaring and no burnout, I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, so like I said... Cameras like spider's eyes. And you can rest assured that all of that was being recorded to servers should something have happened. Um, Mm -hmm. They'll have a dozen views of it, right? Um, And that right there, that little technology is going to change society. As autonomous vehicles proliferate, we're going to find that there aren't many situations where a collision occurs between a car and anything else in which it won't be the human being's fault. That's going to drive up insurance rates. Uh, And while the streets will grow safer as more and more autonomous cars join traffic, insurance rates will climb because as the number of car owners dwindle, they will have to charge more for the coverage uh, in order to maintain the pool. And they don't want the hassle of dealing with insureds who will be liable for any collisions Almost by default, mm. you know, um, simultaneous to this will be the fact that fleets of autonomous vehicles uh, from companies like Uber and Lyft will be available with only a few minutes wait. Um, it'll pull up in front of work or the store or home and let you out. No hassle of finding parking. Just think about that one for a moment. You know, uh, this is this is better than the handicap spots. Right in front of the store, you know, boom, front door right there, 10 feet away. Boom. Um, when
0: I just saw in my mind, an ejector seat, um, feature (laughs) where it just actually
1: expectorates you (laughs) into the whole foods, but go on. Uh, Hopefully with a good sound effect. Um, When people look at the fractional cost of each trip and weigh that against the cost of car ownership, as people are already doing at this point, by the way, uh, including rising insurance rates, many will come to the conclusion that owning a car is no longer worth the money. Um, And now I get to the maybe even gold lining. Uh, The benefits to cyclists will be significant. First, consider that there will be no more road rage. Just. Yeah. You know um, that (laughs) what that alone will do for society, you know, forget people not being upset with cyclists, just not being upset with each other will be transformative in its own right. But yeah, no more cars buzzing cyclists, no more rolling coal, no more having stuff thrown at us. That will be a big, big difference. Um, But given how many times cyclists are hit due to inattention, the bigger issue will be that autonomous cars will give us plenty of room as they pass. There are going to be a whole lot fewer injured or or dead cyclists. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, just from the hassle standpoint, no more cars honking behind group rides uh they'll simply turn off on another street once the autonomous car calculates that there's a faster route to be had um so a few years ago i was ri- asked to write an essay for a panel on imagining the future and this was for south by southwest um and the the call for essays uh featured a big prize which i didn't win but uh the essay was well-received. Um, it is, as of this recording, uh, up on uh, TCI so that people can see it, and we will link to it in our show notes. Uh, and John, do you see other silver linings uh, or, or platinum linings or even tinfoil linings uh, coming our way as as we get more autonomous cars out there? Um. <sighs> I,
0: I, I think I, I'm going to be a bummer not to <laughs> s-
1: <laughs> okay,
0: <laughs> not that that's not really a curveball, but, um, uh, I, I think a lot of what you said is the, um, is the, the rose colored view of the eventual state that we'll end up in. And I'm hopeful that you're correct. Mm hmm about the state that we end up in. And I'm hopeful also that the transition period between um, you having to force the autonomous cab back so you could parallel park and this um, golden future in which things are better, I hope that transition period is short. But going (laughs) back to kind of what we talked about last week around personal mobility etiquette, Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for years uh, as cyclists and as some there are other users here, but we're a cycling podcast. But as cyclists, we we crammed ourselves between the parked cars and the traffic lane. We we negotiated that danger. It's taken 20 plus years for Boston, where I live, to get reasonable (laughs) cycling infrastructure like we were once voted the worst city in America for cyclists and and they've put a ton of energy in and it's not as bad now there's a lot of dedicated infrastructure so it's it's better and now that it's better for cyclists other personal mobile mobility uh, modes have emerged, the electric scooter, mm-hmm. the electric skateboard, the e-bike, etc. So now that there's this dedicated space, people are rushing into it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is making for some challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, I suspect what we're talking about here is the roadways, these common spaces, and I'll include, I'll, I'll go all the way out to the sidewalk, really. Mm-hmm. Because these are common spaces that we all have to share, and every evolution of this, um, these transportation paradigm shifts involves repartitioning, at least conceptually, who gets to use which parts of the space and how they use it. Mm-hmm. And all of that sort of renegotiation is fraught with road rage (laughs) and sidewalk (laughs) rage and bike lane rage. And so I look forward to a time when I don't have to own a car. That'd be great. Um, I'm hoping that that will lead to even when there are self-driving cars only that then there are far, far fewer of them, which will make all of that shared space less congested. Mm hmm. I just worry about the intervening time. You know, like if I lived in San Francisco, I I hadn't I was not aware that there were autonomous cars in San Francisco already until you told me. And then, of course, I started seeing the stories and this 24-7, like the approval that the city council gave for these things.
1: So I was unaware that we were already sharing space. Um, I didn't know that it was commercially available. I knew that there were autonomous cars on the road in San Francisco. I didn't know that we were at a point where I, too, could join the future and go for a ride in one of those. Right. Um, and so, yeah, my my learning curve, it, it was more cliff like than just steep. It was like, right. oh, oh, this is a, OK. Um, I've now had my experience. My neighbor, um, Jonathan, who, you
0: know, and have perhaps ridden bikes with. I don't know, but you know him. Mm-hmm. Um, he works for the Department of Transportation with a focus in autonomous vehicles. Cool. And so often when we're out riding bikes, he's um, illuminating me on the the challenges and the state of the art in autonomous vehicles. Um, and what what I know from him is that there are a lot of hurdles to be overcome still and a lot of negotiations to be had.
1: Yeah, I mean, the 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 issues are significant. I mean, among them, there's a think tank of philosophers and ethicists who are, you know, looking at, well, say something goes wrong and, um, you know, something hits an autonomous car and it's now traveling in a direction other than the one it meant to. And it has to choose between, you know, six dogs or a child in a baby carriage. You know, how does it how does it work its way through that worst case scenario? So there are people working on this problem at at a a depth that is easy for us not to even engage. Uh, And so I'm I'm certainly encouraged by those things. The the tipping point for. Uh, when we really start to see a difference in how safe the streets are, um, either as drivers, uh, pedestrians or cyclists, um, we got a ways to go. We have a ways to go. Um,
0: I I think we have a ways to go, uh, but, uh, and, and the world doesn't work the way I think it should, uh, probably that's for the best, but, I think the real hazard is in these transition periods, and what I would love to see is uh, some authority who could say, "Okay, listen, only mm-hmm. self-driving cars now," um, and it doesn't. It won't work that way. It won't work that way. Everything is a transition and a negotiation. But I think we'd be safer and better off if we could just do some things cold turkey, so to speak.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it would seem reasonable just uh, as a philosophical endeavor to say that at a certain point, you know, these streets in the city uh, are going to be allocated just to self-driving cars. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, as kind of a first step. I I mean, I see all of that um, as really fascinating stuff. Uh, you know, once we get past that tipping point, think about it, merging traffic's going to go smoother. Um, you're going to be ex- able to accelerate up to speed quicker because you're not going to have some idiot doing 20 miles an hour in a 35 mile per hour lane. There are going to be so many differences in how, uh, how it feels to sit in a car and go places.
0: I mean, I think, and uh, there's... There's stereotype here, but this is one that I think is accurate. The drivers here where I live are so much more aggressive than they are in most of the rest of the country. Oh, yeah. I I won't even say Boston in particular. I'll say everywhere between New York Metro and Boston Metro. That space Mm -hmm. is so much more aggressive than most of the other places I've been in this country that I feel like once this transition occurs, the colors
1: here will be brighter. Everyone's going to get all cheerful. Like, <laughs> it's going to be like they're handing out Prozac to everybody. Yeah. I just think it's going to
0: remove this um, uh, background radiation of rage that, that New
1: Englanders, <laughs> that Northeasterners are currently living in. So I can't wait. <laughs> you know, it's been quite a while since I've uh, driven the Boston Metro. But my experience was, while it was insanely aggressive, it was never actually hostile like, you know, if you wanted to be able to make a right turn onto a busy street, they weren't going to let you out there until you just poked your nose into the intersection.
0: Um, there, it takes a certain amount of um, confidence and assertiveness to drive effectively here. Mm, yeah,
1: those um, are good words. Yep.
0: Yeah, but I find I find I just have to be so much less defensive when I travel uh, because here there's always someone sort of cutting under you. And this is, you know, this is a thing you have to look out for on the bike, too. You have to assume people are going to do the most aggressive thing, right? not the most patient thing. Whereas I feel, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm in the Pacific Northwest, for example, I'm like, why is everyone is everyone on Prozac? here? <laughs> is Everyone just so chilled out. They just let me go what happened?
1: I, I, I have to admit, you know, now that I've been to Seattle a number of times in the last two years, uh, you know, I'm getting a feel for what the city is and there is a reasonableness to their drivers that I still don't entirely trust. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. That's exactly my experience in Seattle in
0: particular. I'm kind of like, hmm, are we not battling for this space? What is happening? Why aren't you fighting me?
1: Anyway. Where are your elbows, bro? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, interesting stuff. You know, like I said, my essay uh, will be up on TCI for people to check out. I think we have a lot to look forward to, but we may be looking forward for longer than we would really like. Yeah, that's always the case, but... Yeah. All righty baseline picks. All right,
0: so last week I revisited a few picks to talk about long-term impressions and I got some good feedback on that. I just want to say to the people who write to me at my robot at cyclingindependent.com email address... Google just won't let me reply to you. Um, I think it's because it's robot at they they're taking me literally. They they actually think that I'm a robot. So all of my replies to uh, I got a really nice uh, note from Kurt. I often hear from producer at large, John, and I'm just unable (laughs) to reply to you. I hear you. I love you. I appreciate the notes. It's good
1: stuff. I've been looking Uh, into it and cannot figure it out to save me.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, And maybe, you know. People, maybe people don't need replies from me. Maybe it makes their life better. Anyway, <laughs> so first thing I'm going to revisit is the Schwalbe G1 gravel tire mm-hmm. uh, and also the G1 UltraBite, which is a more aggressive version of the G1. I've been riding these tires for two full seasons, and I love them. There are uh, two things I want in a gravel tire. It has to give good traction, obviously, mm-hmm. and it has to roll well on pavement. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, as you know, a lot of the gravel riding here in Metro Boston consists of linking together disparate trail systems with stretches of pavement. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and <laughs> duh, it, it has to be really durable. That was <laughs> I mean, that's just uh, the thing is, the trails are so rocky here that having bulletproof sidewalls is kind of a must or else mm-hmm. you're going to be shredding rubber left, right and center. I, I, I especially in the fall, I do a lot of what I call. I think I wrote a post called the Sidewall Boogie, which is where you're riding through leaves and you're just hoping that the rock pushes you, the rocks under the leaves are pushing you back onto the line uh, instead of, you know, you're just depending on the rocks pushing your rear end around. But anyway, so the Schwabi G1 is a hit for me. They are in good supply currently. I checked with the uh, wholesalers and maybe even on sale, I also noticed if mm. you need new gravel tires, check those out. The other item on my list is the ODI Dreadlock Mountain Bike Grip, uh, uh, endorsed by uh, Tinker Juarez. I got these because I was riding a pair of nice, ergonomically shaped grips, but I just found them too hard for my old hands. Like, they were the right shape, but they were just hard. hmm I picked up a pair of the ODI dreadlocks at my local bike shop. Thanks, Jim. Uh, and I haven't looked back. They have a a foamy, slightly cushy feel to them, but they're firm enough that you're not like pudding handed on technical terrain. (laughs) Like I notice, a lot of BMX grips in particular are super squishy. Mm -hmm. I don't want super squishy. I call that pudding hand. I can't do technical stuff with pudding hands. Okay. Uh Um, The ODIs have also worn extremely well. I thought their foaminess was going to be fragile, Mm. but it is not. They've Mm. proven to to wear extremely well. I've ridden them a full season in all of the conditions and even crashed them a few times, and they're still going strong. Yeah. Not even as dirty as I expected them to be, and I got gray instead of my customary black you're living on the edge these days. I really am. I really am. Let the record show. Also, I'm wearing a red t-shirt today.
1: Yeah. Anyway, true statement.
0: Um, Uh, I'm trying people. I'm trying. So fall for (laughs) me is really trail riding season. I look forward to riding the trails in the fall so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, So these picks felt timely. These are uh, things that, you know, tires and grips that I, I really am psyched about and will buy. I will replace these with the
1: same when I'm ready. I mean, honestly, I don't know that we can make a better recommendation than saying I bought this, I'm gonna buy it again. I'm gonna buy it again. Yeah. Once I'm done wrecking this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I'm working on it. <laughs> you're you're doing your your college best. Yes. Yeah. My pick this week is a product or rather a collection of products. Uh, in fact, from our sponsor Shimano, um, this summer I've been riding Shimano's XTR trail group on an Ibis XE. Uh, over the years I've had a weird relationship with XTR in that it's the only high end group that Shimano has ever produced that I didn't like. Uh, huh. um, um, Over many iterations of this group, uh, I found the brakes not powerful enough and Mm -hmm. the shifter and brake mounts disconcertingly flexy. The XTR group I'm riding, M9100, has been out a few years now. I got to do a handful of rides on it when it was first released, um, tearing around on single track near North Star, and that was good fun, Um, and then rode it for uh, quite a bit more uh, mileage in Costa Rica a couple of years ago. But this summer has been a more extended experience, and one of my central contentions in testing mountain bike gear is that unless you've ridden this stuff on trails you know, you you just, it's hard to claim that you can really, uh, yeah. give someone an accurate impression of what it does. My, yep. my experiences have varied so much between, you know, I, I go for a product intro, uh, and ride, uh, the demo forest near Santa Cruz. And then, you know, I get to ride the same product here in Annadel and it's like, Oh, I didn't understand that it did this really well. Um, yeah so riding my own local trails is a, is a big important part of really uh, establishing just to what degree I like or dislike a product Shimano solved the flexi mounts problem uh, in this version. And it makes a huge difference. If I can feel the entire brake lever flexing as I'm pulling on it, well, I'm not going to pull on it as hard as I might otherwise. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as I mentioned, this is the trail version rather than the race version of this group. So it came with the four piston calipers, which solved my issues with brake power. Um, These brakes are just really wonderful. Um, Mm -hmm. I have ridden brakes that were too powerful. Um, The four piston XTs uh, from a few years ago uh were just more grabby than I could really deal with. It mm-hmm. wasn't so much that they had too much stopping power, it's that I couldn't modulate them well enough for They're turns. Too grabby. Yeah. 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 Um also, with this being the trail version of the group, the pedals get a bit of a cage uh to give your foot more of a platform if you're not clipped in. Yeah. And I I swear to Buddha man there is not an uh an SPD pedal on the market that clips in as easily as the XTs uh, as the XTRs. Um, I've looked these over, I've pulled out calipers. I don't know why it is, but um, and and no one at Shimano has ever really adequately explained it to me, but the XTR pedals uh, engage more easily than any other pedal I have ever used. So adding a little bit of a, a cage to that. Um I find myself in really tight turns um clipping one foot out um you know so I can I can dab it on the inside if I need to which allows me that confidence to try taking really really tight turns at even higher speeds than I would otherwise do were I staying clipped in um you know it's, it's little things like that that really can give me a sense of improvement in my own riding um Now comes the funny part. I am pretty anti lighter is better.
0: (laughs) Right. You're against the idea that lighter is better.
1: Yeah. Well, mostly. Yeah. See this, this is where like, I, I am such a little pile of contradictions. I mean, I have to admit that the weight this shaves off of, you know, compared to other groups, um, It's significant enough to feel in turns. Uh, And I say that with the purest of ambivalence. (laughs) I love the experience, but I hate cheering the lighter bike because I think pursuing a lightweight bike for the sake of lightweight. Oh, I'll go, go uphill faster. Right. It's just such a losing proposition. But, um, you know, I notice, uh, I notice the, lesser weight. And by the way, this, this bike fully built the XE frame. Um, and this is one of the Santa Cruz built, uh, XEs, the entire bike weighs 26 pounds and that's with Mm. minions on it. Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that I had great tires that would allow me to bomb around like I was on a trail bike. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, 26 pounds. And, you know, I noticed the weight at times, like when I'm on, Um, a fire road or logging road um, or even just a trail and you get one of those little places where you have a slightly steeper step for a few feet on a heavier bike that slows me down more i have trouble maintaining it's a little easier to get gut my way over that slight rise and hold on to my pace um as i you know move beyond that steep section (laughs)
0: I think you're flagellating yourself for no reason here. You can enjoy that. I'll allow it. (laughs) I wish I had a gavel.
1: (laughs) Okay. All right. Um, Yeah. Well, uh, a couple other things that are worth mentioning about the XTR group. Uh, Features I don't struggle with, like the shorter throw and lighter weight of the shifting. Mm. Um, There's a bigger difference because I have bikes with slx xt and xtr i can tell you that there is a more significant jump in performance by xtr over Deore xt than the xt over the slx
0: i buy that i have an slx bike and an xt bike i like them both quite a lot
1: yeah um yeah yeah uh they're they're great. The SLX is a really, really good and capable group. But man, the shifting on the XTR. Yeah. <laughs> it's it is super quick, super smooth. Um, it it is just super impressive. Yeah. I I really like it. All right. Yeah. There it is. All righty. That's a wrap on another episode of The Pace Line. Uh, next week could be a little interesting. I, uh, I leave shortly for uh, Seattle and we'll spend a week there. Um, and so uh, my return is going to... We are both going to be in Portland, Oregon end of next week, are we not? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fail on my part. Yes. There will be no episode at all next week uh, because of the maid show in Portland. Um, yes. Where you and I will get to oc- uh, uh, occupy the same zip code for maybe the fourth time in our lives. Yeah. Come, come, come find us. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a heck of a show. As I, uh, as I last understood it, they're north of 200 uh frame builders alone and then there are going to be a lot of other big companies there displaying their wares um it's going to be i think the finest collection of handmade bicycle frames uh that i may ever have seen this will be bigger than what the north american handmade bicycle show was
0: well we shall see
1: we shall see i'm looking forward to it yeah it's going to be a very very good time um all Hey, we'd love to hear your thoughts, especially on our screw ups. Um, we're grown ups. We can take it. Um, but, you know, if when you come by to say what doofuses we are, we'd love it if you subscribed. Actually, actually, let me interrupt you there. Mm-hmm. If you haven't subscribed, you don't get to
0: criticize. If you've paid, if you've paid you, if you if you're putting down your dollar, as we say here in, in eastern Massachusetts, yeah. if you put down your dollar, you can say whatever
1: you want. <laughs> yeah, that that seems entirely fair. That seems yeah. entirely fair. It also seems like it may not stop those who are most critical. Ah, fair enough. <laughs> but you know, remember always that anything you contribute to us uh goes to our uh very meager bottom line. Uh there's no private equity here. Um, it's me, Robot, Stevel, Johnny, Raz, a few other people. Um, it's a It's a tight little cadre of people we've assembled here. It's that one corner
0: park bench that people, uh, that's good for busking. And we've got just the one hat out
1: in front of it. So if you (laughs) throw change in that hat, we all share it. It'll be fine. We're on good terms with each other. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.